Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Just as I had no choice, she had no choice. And there was no way for her to stop it, ever. And I realized that that was the fate, that was going to be the fate of my two younger sisters if something didn't happen. And that was a really important moment for me because what that would do is it would plant in me a seed and the seed would be fed and nurtured by that, those embers that were still alive inside of me that, that I deserved, that I was, I was a person and I deserve to be seen and, and held as a person. And it's easy for me to articulate that now, but at the time I didn't have the tools or the understanding or the clarity to be able to articulate that in any way, shape or form. But I knew that something had to be done and that would start the journey that would then take the next 12 years of my life of stepping up and telling my story, starting with authorities and telling the local authorities, uh, what had happened in my life. And that led to them filing charges against Warren Jeffs and my cousin. Ultimately it would years later after Warren had been on the run for a long time and he had been put on America's most wanted list, then he would be caught. And I found myself getting to face him and I was pregnant and we were going into the very first court hearing where I would face him myself. And no one knew who I was. The people of the FLS didn't, FLDS didn't know who I was. The public didn't know who I was. And this would be the first time that I would be stepping into the light and claiming my story. Right. And at the time I had a really clear why and often I'm asked, you know, why did you do this? And, and how did you do this? And, and for me, it, I had such a burning clarity on why, because I had this picture of my two younger sisters and this picture was one of my favorite pictures of them because it was, it was one of the last ones that I ever took of them. And they just look so happy and innocent. And you can see kind of this joy that's just sparkling from their eyes. And every single day I would look at this picture And it gave me all the fuel I needed to keep going because that was a very, very difficult process of stepping forward and telling my story and the the investigation that would go into it. And I ended up in witness protection because they were very concerned about how the the, the FLDS would respond once they found out who I was and and truly to to go up against a multi-million dollar church Mm -hmm. as a woman and go after their leader was a very big deal. It was a big deal inside of the FLDS, but also it was a really big deal inside of, in, 
in the state of Utah. We were successful. And after a long, intense trial, then the jury found Warren Jeffs as guilty of accomplice to rape. And he would later be sentenced to a really long sentence in in prison. And my ability to to endure that that time frame was really came from those that deep ember inside of me that had always been glowing no matter how dormant i felt it was as i continued on my journey it became brighter and burned stronger and stronger and really became alive for me when I stepped into that courtroom for the first time and I looked Warren Jeffs in the eye and my past self would have dropped my gaze because you don't look the prophet in the eye. He's, he's so much bigger and he's on this pedestal. That's so much more than us. And I, I was so lowly in the way that I was taught and trained, but to hold his gaze and to stand up for myself even though in that moment I thought I was standing up for my sisters and I thought I was standing up for my mother and for the women of my community, that that fire inside of me was actually standing for myself. And I held his gaze as long as it took until finally he was the one that broke the gaze. And as subtle and as meaningless as that might be to some people, for me and for Warren, that was a declaration that I was free of his control. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's one thing to be free of the physical control and my act of leaving the FLDS was that first step of me claiming my, my, myself, claiming my body, claiming my safety, claiming my freedom. I would go on a 20 year journey of what it meant to claim my, my all parts of me to claim my psyche, to claim my um, values, to claim my sexuality, to claim my femininity, all of these layers would be a process over the next 20 years of my life. And from that point of Warren's guilty conviction, it started a journey even within the community of the FLDS, because this was unheard of you know, to have their profit, one, go to court and to be successfully prosecuted and found guilty and then placed in prison, it changed everything for the people of the FLDS. And for a few years after that, you would find that it actually ingrained the people to believe more, you know, because they were being told that this was the outside world that was coming to persecute them for their religious beliefs. And we did, there was a, there was kind of a countermeasure that happened. And I was really concerned. I was like, wow, are we, did we make a mistake? Did we make it worse for the people inside? You know, my, my mother and my two younger sisters disappeared completely and no one knew where they went. I would later find out from them that they were put into deep hiding. The church took them and put them into a home in another state where they wouldn't have any any outside um, connection. They had food delivered to them. They didn't get to go to the grocery store. They didn't even get to go outside in the light of day. And so I, I had, I, I have to, 
look at it all now from the lens that I'm, I'm viewing this and, and see that there was a massive roller coaster of a journey. And it wasn't just mine, you know, the people that I loved, that I felt like that I was doing this all for, they themselves were on this intense roller coaster of a very difficult life. And um, every day I would still wake up and take a few minutes to look at this picture of my sister's. And even after Warren's guilty conviction, that's where the work really began because that was just the first, the first pebble in this really important foundation that would need to be made by myself and a lot of other people who had also left the FLDS, as well as authorities and government organizations. Like it's been this intense process of everyone bringing different bricks in this foundation to where we find ourselves today. And where the people of the FLDS and the people that are no longer part of the FLDS are. And my journey is this beautiful, messy, complex, multi-layered journey. And I've, I've shared so much of my story because I've, I've realized that that was part of my power is by coming forward and, and telling authorities my story. It was it was what they needed to be able to successfully prosecute Warren and then to be able to have the opportunity to write a book at a very tender age of 2021 and share my story on an international stage. Because what I realized is after Warren's trial, it was a very, um, it was a worldwide, it was covered, covered internationally. And so people from all over the world were getting bits and pieces of what was happening inside of the FLDS but it was still very difficult for people to believe that this lifestyle was happening in, in modern society. Mm. It was really hard for people in another country to imagine that this kind of stuff could happen in America. And I realized really quickly that if, if I didn't tell my story, someone was going to tell it on an international um, stage. And I had the opportunity to write a book and to, to tell the world. Being so young and still so naive, I, I didn't have any ability to understand what that would really mean and the journey that that would set me on in what it meant to then tell my story and in essence, be a part of the force of women in our world today that are, were stepping up and saying no more. And I look on this, this wave that I get to, to be in of, of women from all over the world where we're stepping forward and we're telling our stories and we're illuminating the shadows of what is happening in society. And we're saying no more. And that is such an honor to be a part of anyone who is sharing their story, not just to help the world and to serve the world and make it a better place. But what all of us that are sharing our story, I think some of us realize it and some of us don't until later on is that there is great power in, in sharing your, your story because it's the beginning of how we claim ourselves fully and completely. Yeah. And I found myself in this really interesting place where I am today that I get, I'm in a new layer of what that journey of claiming looks like. And it's kind of a process of actually reclaiming. And I've been a part of 
the journey of reclaiming our community. You know, in 2016, after leaving in 2004, I left my the community in um, southern Utah and ran away and all of this life happened. But in 2016, I made the decision to move back into it because I realized that after 15 years of doing everything we could to help the people leave to, you know, picking up women in the middle of the night and driving them miles away to a safe house where they could start over and start a new life and, and, and collaborating and aligning with different organizations like holding out help and the safety net um, here in Utah to, to start to create some sort of a network to catch people when they left the FLDS and other similar fundamentalist groups. Because we, we realized really quickly, I realized really quickly that my story was just one of many, many, many thousands and thousands of stories. And what happened to me probably happened to many people, but more so the people that were choosing to stand up for themselves and leave their community, whether that was the FLDS or other similar fundamentalist groups, it's a very difficult process. And I often refer to that, that process of leaving and adapting into the outside world as though people are domestic refugees because they, they're Americans just like everyone else. They were born here, but there's nothing else about the experience that was the same. And so many of us had to start from the very bottom and we had to learn all the nuances and, and ways to adapt into society, you know, how to dress, how to do makeup, how to do finances, get a bank account, how to get jobs, how to, how to go and buy a house or, or rent a house and go to school, you know, all these, these things that we do just because that's a part of our, our world and our society, we had to learn from the ground up and in that process of learning, there's also this very intense deconstruction and unweaving that takes years for someone to do and figure out who they are in the midst of all of it, because you're unweaving generations of belief system. You're unweaving generations of habitual patterns and not only are you unweaving it, but you're also equipped with all of that generational trauma. And it's quite an intense process. And it's one that even myself, I find as I continue on in this journey and I continue to heal myself and share my healing story with other people, I realize how it's similar to people from all over the world. And even though I came from a very unique background and such a small demographic of people in this world, there's things that have, have happened in my life that I share in common with women from all over the world. And by coming forward and telling my story and doing the very best I can to continue to tell my story and to share exactly where I'm at in it, it reminds me that I'm connecting with humans everywhere. And there's this beautiful tapestry of us as we weave together and we weave our stories together and we learn from one another and help each other to continue to heal and share practices that work and, and curate bodies of work where someone like myself, you know, I look at my journey and I 
And I'm often asked, you know, what made it possible for you to become the woman you are today? And I can tell someone it was being hungry, hungry for more information, Mm -hmm. hungry for better ways to, to handle my life. And I have been a self-learner and a self-educator since the day that I left the FLDS. And that has been my saving grace. And I've been able to come in contact with work such as Brene Brown's work and her many, many layers of, of work she's done. You know, there was a time in my life where I felt like that she was, she was my quasi mom because I had never met a woman who was brave enough to, to tell me what I needed to hear through her books and to share her life and to share her story. And so much of, of her body of work has given me the tools and the ability for me to, to take on my own trauma, to take on my own um, inadequacies and to, to confront my shame and to continue to confront my shame because I find that that little shame monster inside of me continuing at different points of my life to raise its ugly head and come up and create more struggle for myself. <clears throat> and I, you know, I've, I had the opportunity the earlier this year to be a part of a Netflix documentary and where they went deep into the story of Warren Jeffs, not so much the FLDS story as much as just focusing it on Warren Jeffs and so much of my life and what happened to Warren and where he is today was because of myself and other powerful women stepping forward and sharing their story. And since its release, it's been a fascinating experience for me because I've, I've met a, a new paradigm of myself and I've had to realize that there is still so much of me that is very raw. And it wasn't just because of the release of the documentary that this new season has come in for myself. It was because of many layers. You know, I've confronted some recent failure that I didn't expect to confront. I went through a really intense divorce shortly after my book came out. And I spent years as a single mom trying to to figure out how to provide for myself and provide for my children and, and started to heal myself. And I went through this, the season of absolute, I just completely shut down to, to the world. I, I still didn't have the tools during that time frame. I didn't have the tools inside of myself of how to view my, my, my body and myself as a valuable person. You know, even though I was out of the FLDS and I was out of the, the forced marriage that I was in, I still hadn't been able to transcend all of the weight of what comes with trauma. And it took years of untangling it. You know, I, I've struggled with mental health and I've struggled with being able to, to face all of it. And I've realized that it kind of comes in piecemeal. You know, you take a little bit at a time and you unweave it and learning that the ability to give myself grace, learning the ability to be patient with myself, to be tender with myself was huge um, lessons and skill sets for me to adapt into my life. And even though I find myself in this unique season where I'm in a new layer of healing and I find myself going back, going back to the drawing board. Because the difficulty is, is when you share your story so publicly, 
and you are so open about it, then there comes a point where you, you can't really get away from it. And I have found that I see the air, the layers that still need work because they come and they're tender and they, they're pokey and prickly still. Mm. And I'm, I'm in a new place where I realize that not only am I claiming myself, but there's a part of me that still as a 36 year old woman who has, is powerful and is amazingly resilient, who has endured and, and transcended so many things that I'm, I'm still just like everyone else. And I'm, I find myself curled up in bed, holding myself and giving myself space to, to feel, to feel the years of emotion and pain and struggle that are still embedded deep inside of me that still need that, that space and that spaciousness in myself to, to come up and out. And I find myself still going back to big and small things that I've done along my way to, to help myself to heal. I find myself going back to therapy again, and I find myself getting to confront my mental health once again and continue to do many different kinds of practices and explore different practices for myself of how I can continue to to heal and how I can continue to be a light in this world and to serve the world with how incredible we are as humans, how resilient we are as humans, and how much I want to be a part of a world that we don't need to have resilient humans. We, we get to be working as a, as a race and as a species to keep, excuse me, let me say that again. We get to work as a species to keep building a better world. And I know that it starts with telling our stories. It starts with uncovering the darkness. It starts, it starts with, with stepping up and saying no more. And we live in a world now where we get to see that over and over and over. And we get to have those examples of what it is to step up for ourselves and to stand up for ourselves. In the the conversation that we had had uh, prior to this, um, prior to like recording, um, you had said something when, you know, I was sharing a little bit of my story and you said like, that's something that is important to you is that nobody's trauma is bigger than someone else's trauma because we all have trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all woven together and it gives us this unique ability to be able to understand each other in just ways that maybe some can't because of certain experiences we've had. And I think just when you were talking and like you had mentioned, you called it a tangent. Um, but for me, it, it's just like, hearing your entire story, there were moments where it was like, I could say something, but I don't want to ever speak just for the sake of speaking and hearing my voice. That's one of the biggest reasons why I made what was her name and why I feel so passionately about this space is because um, originally I wanted it to be a place where people just shared their stories, almost like a tape that you click and you hear someone's story because while conversations I think are great and there is time for, um, like I could just pick your brain on so many different things. Um, I think that having a space where it's like, it's just your story and it's, um, there's a space for people to listen because I think for so long, 
um, in all of our stories, um, the people who've suffered through domestic abuse or um, assault, I think there, and for you hearing your story, there was a long period of time where nobody was listening. For me, even one of the things I'm realizing is as vulnerable as I've been, I've always shared my story with this, this serious shield because I did, I was, I was used to people questioning everything, you know, not just questioning it, but completely ignoring what was going on. And then after I left and started to tell my story, then, then it was, it was dangerous because it was actually putting me and my family in physical danger to tell my story and to stand up against the organization that was really powerful. And they're a lot more powerful than I think people realize. And, um, then I still had to have that shield. And then it, writing the book, you, I had no idea what I was getting into when I had the opportunity to write the book. And I know so many people would think, you know, she did it because, you know, the way that I was often um, referred to within the people of the FLDS or people I knew is, you know, you're sharing your story for fame or, or fortune. You're, you're sharing it because you just want to be special. Mm. And that really started this very interesting dynamic inside of my brain where, I started to say, no, I am not special because of my story and I will not, that's not what's going to define me is my past and my past stories, no matter how powerful or strong it may look, make me look. And it also made it to where I started to become very, very private and afraid to show the world of who I really was. You know, I had already told parts of my story and I'd already told little pieces of it. And I knew how difficult that was. I knew how hard it was to be that public about it and that vulnerable and open as much as it was helping the world. It's, it's, it still comes at a cost. It comes at an exchange. And then as the years went on, you know, I was embroiled in different lawsuits or, um, court cases of different kinds for the next 12 years after Warren's conviction. And it was a very difficult place because every part of your life is always being questioned. You know, your, your medical history is always being questioned or your, your mental health is being questioned. And so there was never really this dynamic for me to just figure out who I was because I always had this pressure of more, more, more eyes, more people looking at me. And, you know, then when I, because after I left the FLDS, then I did, I was in a relationship with, with a man who also came from our same background and we were married. We had two young children, but ultimately we went through a very difficult and painful separation. And for me, that was so hard because I thought I had built this life that I was safe in. And I thought that I had a person in my world who was, you know, going to have my back forever kind of thing. And I I look at it now and I can truly say that that was once again, that was one of the most important things to ever happen to me because after we separated and became divorced, I started on this very intense journey of, of collapse and my world and myself just really collapsed. I, had a nervous breakdown and started to have to confront my trauma because it was coming out in a physical way. I had severe body dysphoria. I didn't, I hated my body. Even to that day, I hated my body, but 
I had a daughter at this time and I would look at my body. I would look at my daughter and I'd see how beautiful she was and how incredible she was. And, and I was like, I, I don't want her to feel this way about her body. And I started to read about secondary trauma and how it's a generational thing. And I, I was like, I, if I don't do something about my, my, my messed up, fucked up self, then my kids are going to be that way. And so I started on this journey of just when you say clawing, I have these chapters of my life that I talk about. And I, my first chapter, a lot of the world knows about, I've shared it and I've been as open and as honest and as, and as forthcoming with that chapter of my life. And the next chapter of my life was deeply influenced by that first chapter as every single chapter will be forever. But that next chapter of my life of trying to sort out who I was and where I fit in society. And it's only been in the last six years that I can truly say that I've been able to really untangle a lot of the trauma. And I find it every single day. And once again, though, there'll be days where I have really low, low days and all of those, those monsters kind of rise up and I have a choice in that moment. And I say, you know, am I going to shrink to them or am I going to look them in the eye and say, hello, Mm -hmm. I know you, how do I, how do we heal? And that is hard. That is some of the hardest work I have ever done. And I, you know, I feel like that in my life, I've had the opportunity to confront tyrants and, and to be a fierce warrior, but some of the hardest warrior work (laughs) I've ever done is within myself and confronting my, myself and more so confronting all of the belief systems and the subconscious stories that were told to me about myself, about my body, about my worth, about my value about what had happened to me, you know, after I, after I wrote my book and I came public with, with my story backlash that I got from my community that I came from was so intense. You know, there was this immediate, just violent, vicious, um, attack on me and my story, you know, people coming out of the woodwork claiming that, that I had, the reason I had gotten married was because I had slept with other people or, you know, all these stories and all these ideas of who I was and what I was and why I was doing what I was doing. And I I had to realize that the very people that I thought I had stepped up for vehemently hated me and would spend days fasting and praying for my destruction. And it, it took its toll on me and I became more and more secluded within myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it took me years to find my mother and my sisters. And through this process, there's always been a space for me to, to tell my story. But I went through this season where I thought, you know, I have nothing to tell the world because on some level, I felt like I was a bit of an illusion because I had stepped up. I had told my story. I had made incredible changes and shifts in the world, but inside of me, I was, I felt broken. Yeah. I felt, I felt shattered and that feeling and the desire that I had to, 
to be more for myself, but more so for my children really started me on this, this journey of, of picking up the fragmented pieces of, of who I, who I was and, and looking at them, you know, there was a point after I had a nervous breakdown where I felt like I was just absolutely decimated on the ground. And I was really struggling with some mental health conditions and really trying to figure out who I was in, in it and what voices in my head were mine and what were trauma and, and old dogma and bullshit. Mm -hmm. It was very complicated and difficult process, but I came across this, this really beautiful, um, this book at the library one day, and it was all about this form of, of art where they take broken vases or beautiful broken, um, bowls and these, these beautiful pottery, um, pieces, and they're put back together with, with veins of gold and it, and people can look at it. You can go look it up and, and see the process in which it's done, but also the, the final result. And it is so beautiful. And just that, just that piece became kind of my own, my own mission that I wanted to be my own beautiful art piece and that I couldn't change what happened to me. I couldn't change what was happening to me. Really. I, what I could do is I could pick up the pieces that I wanted and I could start to put them back together with gold. And, um, so in this journey, since in this, this chapter of healing and growth and confronting my trauma, confronting the past and, and doing something with it, you know, unweaving the the cloth of the experience and then taking the, the, the threads out that I want and weaving my own personal tapestry has been a process. And that's where I'm at now is I want to share with the world this process because I realized that in talking with so many women from around the world, it's, it's really easy to talk about our, our, our difficult time in a past tense. And it's also really easy for people to compare trauma to say, you know, my, my story is not nearly as bad as your story. And I just, I want to stop people at that point and say, whoa, 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 there, there is no comparing because it's, it's all the same. We're all equals in this journey of, of confronting the trauma and finding whatever practices inside of ourselves that resonate so that we can transcend that trauma. We can reclaim who we were prior to that trauma. We can reclaim our innocence. We can reclaim our sovereignty. We can reclaim our sexuality, whatever it takes for, for people that have experienced all kinds of abuse, whether that's domestic abuse, um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, all of it has similar threads. And in a lot of ways, we're all this beautiful circle of, of humans and souls that are really actually trying to do the very best they can. Mm -hmm. And I know that for me, when I look around this circle, because no one is ahead of anyone really. And I look across or beside me and I see other powerful, beautiful, messy women and men who are speaking their truth who are owning their vulnerability and showing their heart to the world, it gives me a little bit of a little bit more courage to keep couraging. And mm. 
it makes me a little bit braver. And where I am in my life is if there is something that I can share about my story, specifically since I've written my book and a lot of what people know from the documentaries and the news articles that are all over the world now is I I tell people, this is where the real story begins. And this is the story of reclaiming my humanity inside of myself. Mm. And I look around the world and I see everyone else doing the same in their own unique, beautiful way. Mm. And if there's something that I can share in that process, if someone can ask me a question of how I've handled or dealt with something and somehow my answer can, can do for them what other people's answers and wisdom and sharing has done for me, then I feel like that is how I'm here to serve. That is how I want to show up in the world around me. That's incredible. I think you said, you said something about the broken vases that um, end up being like cultivated into art. And I think that that's such a beautiful depiction. I think of like coming out of something traumatic and like, I just a picture, I think for a lot of us, like, you know, I always like think back to the pre-abuse Maya and who that girl was and how she was and how excited she was about life. And she was just very, you know, everything, everybody just meant good all the time. And it just, I don't know. And then someone came smashed on the ground and that, that me, like they broke me. And I know that you've many times in your story have said, um, even at one point, like that you, I think that you felt like this was death. I felt like this is what death looks like. Death, Right. And coming out of it and you have all of these different pieces. Um, we have an, an opportunity now, right? Like every single day waking up as difficult as it is sometimes and as easy as it may be on other days to like choose to allow for these broken pieces to be cultivated into something and it will form something beautiful and it will look different and it won't be the same, but um, there's also beauty in that as well. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'm, this is kind of a new, I'm stepping into a new, I'm stepping fully into that vulnerable self and it's, it has been hard and, you know, a lot of where I find myself now getting to be on your podcast and sharing my story as who I am now, I've, I've really come to a new place where I've committed to, to be really honest because I think like myself, I look at a lot of women and I get the opportunity to consistently read stories and and hear these incredible stories of women who, and men, just humans in general, who have confronted incredible things and transcended some of the most horrendous traumas of their past. And you do, you look at them and you say, wow, they have something figured out. And quite honestly, they do. They do have some things figured out. I have some things figured out. That's why we're able to still be here and we're able to share our stories. But I also realize that we don't have everything figured out. And I know that it's easy for an average one of us, you know, it's easy for listeners specifically to, to listen to these stories and feel like that somehow I 
am better than them or I'm further along in the journey. And I am further along in my journey than I was 10 years ago, than I, than I was two years ago. But I'm still right in the middle of it. And those really difficult days, I have to remind myself that I am still creating my art piece. I'm still Kintsugi. I think it's I think it's how you pronounce the art form. It's Kintsugi. I, mm. I could probably slaughter that, but that's it's this form of Japanese art. And I, I have to hold that representation even to this day to remind myself, just pick up one more piece and let's meld it back together. And sometimes I actually drop my art piece. And I've in I'm in a place right now where I feel like I've dropped my vase once again. And it's all over the ground and I'm still picking up the pieces that I want to pick up. And the beautiful thing about it is its own kind of, it's its own living art piece. And <clears throat> every day that I pick up a piece and I meld it into who I want to be today and who I know that I am, it becomes more beautiful in its own way. <clears throat> and also to realize that at any point in time, I can deconstruct that once again. And that's this process of confronting abuse, confronting trauma, confronting things that happened to us that were outside of our control is often they made us into a version of who we are that we don't necessarily want to keep being. And I invite every woman or man that is listening to remember that we really do have the ability and the, the power to deconstruct ourselves at any point. No matter how successful we think we are, no matter how far along our road we think we are, if we come to that that point where we say full stop, something's not quite, it does, I'm not flowing, I'm not really who I want to be. I I bless you in that moment that you will have the courage and that I will have the courage to to take a pause and to say, okay, let's start this over. And as I'm starting over in some ways with my healing journey, or maybe it's just the next chapter, maybe that's a better way to explain it. As I'm starting this next chapter of my healing journey, I, I do hope that we all, all listeners and everyone that is getting the opportunity to hear my story at any point in time, that they remember that I'm, I'm just like them mm-hmm. and that I'm here and if I could be an angel on your shoulder, I would just tell you that you're worth it. Even when nothing in your world is telling you you are, mm. that you are enough. Even when nothing in my world, I, even when none of the voices in my head are allowing me to hear that, that we are, we are enough and that we are worth it. And that we do make a change because by, by me changing my journey and my story by me standing up for my story. I mean, excuse me, but by me standing up for myself, not only did I stand up for me, I stood up for my, my family. I stood up for my community. I stood up for my own children and I look at who they are and the opportunities that they have in their life now. And I'm very grateful that they get to have the life that they get to have, even though there is struggle. And I have to be very aware that they still get to deal with secondary trauma. And I still get to go back to the drawing board of how to support and to help myself through this, this healing journey, but also support and help my children through their own healing journey. And there's days where it feels very overwhelming and it feels really big and very scary. 
And most of the time it's really messy. Quite honestly, more times than not, it's a very, very messy process. But I read a quote once that I have on my mirror and it says there is magic in the mess. Hmm. And so I invite myself and every other person to just to embrace our mess and find that magic because it does matter. It does make a change no matter how small and change is kind of like a snowball. It has to start small. I had to share my story once, twice, three times, and it snowballed to a point where now I get to share my story all over the world. And I'm really grateful for that one day that I said, enough is enough. I claim my truth. Mm -hmm. I'm often asked, you know, about my relationships now, because I think something that any woman and man who has been sexually assaulted in any capacity, we all find that it can be very difficult to, to have a relationship after because it's affected. And I can't tell you how many times in my life that I have been really frustrated with myself because I'm experiencing a moment of PTSD or a memory that comes up or a flashback or something that comes up that is from a past relationship that was very, very painful and very abusive, but somehow it has presence here in my now moment, in my now relationship. And after I was divorced, um, I went through a space where I completely shut down to all relationships. I became very numb. I became very robotic in the way that I was functioning. I was a working mom and I was working hard, as hard as I could. And I was still so focused on, on fixing the problems of the community that I came from. You know, I still was actually under some sort of a delusion that somehow I was going to save people. <laughs> and in that process, I was really forgetting how to save myself. And it showed up in my in my relationship with my body, it showed up in my relationship with my sexuality, and I just completely shut down to all of it. Um, there came this, this moment for me in my journey where I, I realized that I could do life alone and it would be safe. I would always forever figure out how to keep myself, especially in the realm of sexuality safe, but by not sharing myself with anyone else, then it was, it was leaving my life very one dimensional and through a long process and an intense process for myself, I had the miracle of life happening where I got the opportunity to meet and create a friendship with a man that would change my life forever. And the only way that he was able to come into my life, it's my partner today, is because I made the choice to open my heart up to love. And I think that that is one of the hardest things for someone who has been, who has experienced any kind of trauma or abuse in the context of any kind of love or any kind of sexual environment is it truly does erode a lot of our ability to, to trust, to trust ourselves, to trust humanity, to trust another person, but more so it makes us always very, very wary of, of, of love in general. Mm -hmm. And 
through this, these last, cause I, we just actually celebrated our fourth year anniversary mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's crazy how four years can go by, but I look at the, the version of myself today. And I look at this incredible human that I am today. And as messy as I am, I always get this opportunity to show up as the best that I possibly can for myself, because my partner has helped me in so many ways to, to just be that mirror and to reflect back to me, the, the incredible version of who I am and to, to help me to remember, to slow down and to stop and to, to deal with it. He's, he's such this incredible individual that has been able to help me to create a spaciousness in my life where I can stop and feel. Hmm. And the part of stopping to feel is that a lot of us don't really consider is, is that there's a whole lot of years of not choosing to feel that you kind of have to catch up on (laughs) and it can be very hard Mm. and a very painful thing to once again, allow ourselves to wake up the part of us that is a feeling. Mm. And through this journey, it's taught me so much because I've, I've been able to, for the first time, to re-engage and to embrace my feminine self and to, to start to really deconstruct and reconstruct my ideas of what the feminine and the masculine are and what parts of them are within me, but also how to share parts of me so that I can, I can have the best parts of the masculine that's in my life show up. And, and it's this beautiful reciprocal flow back and forth of, of holding and keeping safe, but also giving the invitation to reach for more, to, to heal just a little bit more, to keep trying, to keep opening and to keep allowing this, this process of healing and allowing life force to come back into me. Because the one thing that it taught me through the process of opening up my heart to another, to a partner, to love is it's a really, really scary process and relationships are incredibly complex and they come with all kinds of, all kinds of layers. But what I could never have comprehended until I opened myself up was the volumes that it would open with inside of me. And it was kind of like, coming into a library of myself and there was a whole secret section and to start to explore the secret session section of my myself and allow her to come out and allow her to speak, allow her to be seen. And I realized in so much of it, it was this innocence. You know, my, my book that I wrote years ago was called stolen innocence. And for a long time, it was, it was important to, to name my story that because it, it, it showed what it was, but I struggled because I didn't like the idea of knowing that anything of mine was stolen. You know, we, no one wants to, to have anything truly taken from them. And this process has really been amazing in these last few years, because I've been able to see that maybe it was stolen from me at some point, but I am reclaiming my innocence. Yeah. 
And it is an incredible process. And it is so hard, so, so hard to, to, to look at that journey within myself and to, to create the space within myself to do that and the vulnerability to do it. And I'm, I'm at a place where I want to share with the world that we, and in essence, that's what every survivor is doing because we can never return back to the version of who we were before these things happened to us. And I want to, I want to be a an example and a messenger of that. We don't want to return to that. We want to reclaim the parts of who we were before this happened and weave them or meld them together with the parts of who we are today. And to once we're able to get there, find that part of gratitude, because I, I look at my life and I can tell you the reason that I am here today. And I didn't succumb to all of the the dark valleys and the crevices that came along my journey was because of gratitude Mm. and to be able to look at my life and say, I know that it's been really, really hard. And I know that it's really hard right now, but I know that there is someone else in this world who is experiencing more. And Mm. I know that there are people that I love that are still going through some unimaginable things that I I can't even conceive. And to find that thread of gratitude in it as hard as it is, because it's really hard to be grateful for trauma or to be grateful for something that happened to us. Mm -hmm. And I often tell my kids as well as myself, I'm not grateful. It happened to me. What I'm really grateful for is that I had that human spirit inside of me that could take it that journey and do something positive with it. Mm. I'm really grateful that it made me into the person I am today and that it's given me such a multidimensional experience in my life because now I get to connect with people from all over the world on all different kinds of, of layers of it, because I have empathy and compassion because in a way I've, I've walked the path of of struggle and trauma and survivorship. And I'm still walking the path of healing and I'm walking towards this feeling of what it means to be thriving, to, to be healed, to be, to come out of that chrysalis of our experiences and to learn how to fly, knowing that all of those experiences made us into this incredible, beautiful butterfly that will go out and gift this world with even its presence. Mm. I'm often asked, you know, what is your relationship with your parents now? Where are they now? What's happened to your family? And because of my journey and all of the opportunities that I've had to share my story, it really did impact my family, both in positive ways and negative ways. I uh, had the the joy of being able to help both of my young sisters out of the FLDS. And it's been a few years since they've left the FLDS and been able to start lives of their own. And that, that itself was for me, this moment of absolute accomplishment, because I did realize that they didn't get married inside of the church. And in some small way, my journey had been able to impact and help them have the courage to take their own journey on and to leave. 
sadly, my mother is still inside of the, the FLDS. And I speak a lot about what my journey was like inside of the FLDS in a past tense. And it's quite a complicated thing because on, on one layer, there's a lot of people who have left the FLDS and who have started to create a lot of healing within the community. And a lot of really positive change has happened. And we could go on for hours of all of the positive change and the examples of resilience that the people, the ex-FLDS have, have shown but there's also a lot of people that are still actually under the influence of the FLDS religion. And there's a lot of shifts and changes that have happened for them, but there's still women and children and men who are going through a lot of the same things that we did. And my mother is one of them. You know, she's a beautiful individual in her own way. And I know that she truly has done the very best she can, but there's a part of her that just has not been able to let go of the generations of belief system that she has been a part of. And I don't know that she ever really will in this lifetime. My dad, on the other hand, is he has left the FLDS. Um, he still believes in a lot of the, the central tenets of the religion. And he does the very best he can to live a good life. I'm lucky enough to have a relationship with him. And to start to try and repair and heal the decades that I didn't have a relationship with them, because from the age of 13, I didn't even get a chance to really see him or know him. And to have him so completely ripped away from me was a very traumatic and difficult experience. <clears throat> he also, I have to remember that everyone has their own journey and to, to realize how much struggle he has been through to be where he's at has helped me to just have a lot of compassion because I think it's really easy for people that hear my story to look at my parents from the lens of what we expect parents to be today. And they have a lot of judgment and a lot of like anger towards why my parents did what they did. And I, I often encourage people to just kind of step back and to look at environments because we all are very subject to our environment and my parents were very subject to their environment and the things that happened to me, would they have said, oh, we want that to happen to you? Would they have promoted it and sought it out and forced me to do that? I don't believe so. I do believe my parents loved me and I do believe my parents cared about me. And that's been part of what has fueled me to keep going is to realize how powerless my parents really were. And my mother is still in that powerless place and whether she gets the opportunity to choose to leave it or not in this lifetime, I, I don't know if she will, but I do know that by doing everything that myself and so many other people from this community of the FLDS have done, we have made it so that other parents could step up and say enough is enough. And we have helped many other mothers be able to step forward and claim their freedom, but then also step up and protect their own children. When I listened to your story, I was like, really, um, that was something that had come into my mind as well. Like I have a little boy and I was just thinking like, man, like I can't imagine like what was running through her head, um, knowing that you would be like given to someone at such a young age young age like that. Um, and I think 
hearing your perspective helps me to kind of understand a bit more because I'm sure that's a question that you get probably asked. I would assume frequently, I mean, or at least people probably have asked you before. And I think um, it's something that I couldn't really understand um, in the beginning, but I think as you've explained it, um, I'm able to better understand. I think like when you look at it as a whole um, and you look at the like value system and the beliefs in your salvation, um, it's not, it, it's so much bigger than it's just, it's so much bigger. And I think like she really just was also a victim of a lot of brainwashing. And so, um, that like filtered through the, you know, I think she would, she, that, that, that was like a value system that you guys were carrying. And so I think, um, her like releasing you to that, um, was in a way, I mean, it was, also her salvation, her family, she already had her husband, um, taken and ripped from the family. And so I think she's also under a heavy amount of, um, a heavy amount of like, I mean, I don't know if you would consider it like manipulation or, um, what specifically it is, but brainwashing. And so I think that it's really amazing that you've been able to come to a place where you are in understanding, because I feel like many people maybe wouldn't and they would just write them off or not want to deal with um, understanding it because maybe they just are angry that it happened in general. But I think like you being able to come to a compassionate place and to see like, be able to think, okay, like from her perspective, what was going through her mind and why did she allow me to do this? Um, it just, I think shows just who you are as a person, because I think that that's incredible to be able to like to come at grips with it and to come at it with such compassion, like an understanding. I really, really appreciate that because just that has been a journey. I, I'll, I'll be really honest. And that is, is I did not always feel this way about my parents. I was very bitter and very angry specifically at my mother for a long time. And I came to realize that, that the emotion of anger and, um, yeah, how it, it it's a tool. It can be quite a tool to, to protect us, to help us in lots of other ways. And it's a very natural response to different things. But by always having that lens of anger and hurt towards the way that I, I saw them, it created that the only thing that I saw through that lens was judgment, was very polarized, how dare they? And it removed my ability to to see compassion. And as I untangled myself from that anger and that judgment that I had towards them, because I, you know, I was still experiencing so much of the the, the, the pain of it. I, I realized that, you know, there's a saying that says, I sat down with my anger and she told me she's grief. Mm. I realized it was grief. I had such intense grief from my parents because I didn't have them in my life. And I, I grieved the relationship that I think I wanted to have with them. I grieved that they didn't protect me when I wanted to be protected. I grieved that from my mother's perspective at where I was in my life, she wishes I was never born because I did the one thing that she never wanted her children to do. And that was to stat to stand up and fight the priesthood. 
And I can't tell you how many times she said, you know, it doesn't matter to me what you do in your life. Just don't ever question the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, so through that process, it is, it's, it's really easy for all of us to, to look at people that have hurt us in our life. And we look at that lens of what it feels to be, to be hurt, to be wounded. And I, I say it, when you look from the, the lens of the wound, it's, it's quite black and white and we're validated in this black and white feeling that we have. But when we do the work to close the, to clear out the wound and to close the wound, and we're looking at who wounded us through a, a closed wound, that's what opens up a whole new realm of compassion. And mm-hmm. it takes a lot of self-work and it takes a lot of open-mindedness to be aware that someone else had their story too. Mm-hmm. And it goes on every level. I've, I've had to do that all the way down to every person that has ever wounded me of, of stepping out of the wound and stepping into a space of curiosity of what was their journey? What, what led them to do what they did to, to do this act that hurt me. And it's, it's been really important work. It's been hard work, but it's very enlightening work when we can step out of that, that zoomed up lens of the wound and the hurt and the trauma of it. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. Um, so I know that you've, you have shared with us like your heart and like kind of some of the, um, opportunities that have come your way that you've been able to, um, share your story and been able to advocate, um, what is like currently your vision and dream now? I know that you've explained kind of where you're at and kind of the place that you're, um, you're still just digging through layers and working through things. Um, and you have a family and, and a beautiful, sounds like you just, I mean, it sounds like, um, just the love that you have found is beautiful and, um, healthy. Um, but what do you feel like? do you feel like there's something for you like moving forward that you feel particularly called to do? Um, how is that? Cause I know you said you had wanted to be like when you were younger, like a nurse or a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then now obviously you have all of this life that you've like lived in your only, you said 36. Yes. Yeah. And so it's like, that's changed. So it's like, what do you feel right now that you're, I guess, you feel drawn to do. I really appreciate you um, asking this question because I, I'm in a new transitional space, you know, do I, do I feel called to do? And I, I was, I I've had the opportunity in my life. I mean, let me back up. I really appreciate that you're asking me the question of, you know, what am I called to do in my life right now? Because in the last three weeks, a lot of the things that I thought that I was, that I was, that I'm doing, that I was doing, some of those things have radically shifted. You know, I am, I've been an entrepreneur and I've had multiple businesses and I've met some failure in the business world. And I've, I've met some things in, in it where I'm looking at the world around me and I, I, 
I'm like, who am I and what am I doing and why am I doing it? And, and coming up with that, who this, this version of who is Elisa today and who is this being that I get to, to walk this life with every single day. And I do, I have two great kids, they're teenagers and they are teaching me something every day. And there's a part of me that's constantly trying to stay a chapter ahead of them. That's kind of what I say is just stay one chapter ahead so that I can um, hopefully teach and and mentor them through some of it. But there are points where I look at it, I'm like, I am just like them and I'm trying to figure it out. And I do, I have an incredible partner who has taught me so much and given me the ability to, to really explore and discover who I am. But one of the things that Brene Brown has really helped me with, and it's recently I, I had the chance to once again listen to her 10th anniversary Gifts of Imperfection book. And she has this prayer that's in the very front of it where she talks about having the courage to release who we think we should be. Mm-hmm. And that is where I'm at, is I am getting the opportunity to release, to be courageous enough to release who I think I'm supposed to be. And I'm asking myself, who is that? And I know that I am here to, to help humanity. I've known that all along. And yes, for a long time, I just focused on just my own little community. And I still am very focused on my own little community here with, with trying to find any way that we can to heal and to be resilient and to create a better world. And that's really what it is. And so I'm, I'm working on a whole series of different ways to do it. I'll be working on my own podcast where I'm going to be telling the story of the FLDS that, that since all of it, you know, allowing a space for people to come and tell their stories of what it was, what their experience was, but also the work that we've done since, because I think that's where a lot of the world, they only see one tiny little piece of it, but there's such a beautiful, rich, um, incredible story with, with all of it. And I think it's very relevant to where we are in our world. Um, and so as, as people want to become interested in some of this, I'm going to have a website that's going to be going out very soon and it's going to be kind of the slow organic process of growing. Um, and I'm starting a series of retreats where I am going to be creating them for myself of practices and ways for people to, to walk this journey of healing. And I'm creating them for myself because I feel like I need them (laughs) and I want to share them with the rest of the world in the best way that I know how. And so as time goes on, I invite people to follow my Instagram. It's just elisa.wall and also look for my website, which is elisawall.com. And people can also reach out to my email, which is just contact at elisawall.com where they can get more of this information as it comes. It's, it's, it's a work in progress. It's a beautiful art piece of progress. And I am excited and terrified in some way, a little scared to invite people into my little world to come and continue this journey with me. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on this. Um, yeah, just coming on and sharing your story. I think that you are incredible. <laughs> and I, I know that like, you know, trauma is trauma, but I think just the amount of adversity that you faced at such a young age 
and just hearing about your story, I think, um, I don't know. I, I just think like, while it shouldn't have happened to you, like those things shouldn't have happened to you. Um, and I don't understand why I don't understand why bad things like that happen. Um, but I think coming from also having my own story and remembering the grief and the, I mean, truly just feeling like you're dying in a, in the middle of something so dark and you can't get out. Um, and then to just see people on the other side of it and there's hope and love and family and healing. And it's incredible to me because like, I'm familiar with just feeling trapped in something and thinking that you're best days are not ahead of you. And this is all that there is. And so then to like get to hear people's other side and where they're at now, and just while it's not perfect and it's messy in the messy middle, and we're still putting pieces back together, I think um, how far that you have come and just the amount of wisdom that you carry. um, I mean, it's incredible. And I think if you wouldn't have gone through that, I mean, the stories that you're sharing and the amount of women that you're going to be able to help and that you're already helping. And even just the impact you've made in my life today, it's, it's wild. It's insane. And so, um, I just think there's such a gift in you of like storytelling. And, um, I listened to Brene Brown as well, and I love her podcast. And, um, I, you remind, like you remind me a lot of her. Like, I feel like Brene Brown just is like a specific individual that I feel like she just has an anointing on her life to just the way that she just is able to formulate things and pour into people. Mm -hmm. Insane. And I feel like you are very similar to that though. Like, and I'm not even just saying that, like the way that you've poured into me in this time, just in hearing your story and just in the things that you've said, it's like certain people can say things and they maybe make you know, they, they, they impact us, but then there's, I feel like certain people who have a gifting to speak and it changes things, it shifts things. And I feel like you just today have just shifted things in my own heart and in my own life and in my own mindset. And I'm just really excited for people to like, listen to this, because I know that if it's done that for me, I know that it's going to do that for so many other people listening. And so even if it's just for that one person, like it's so worth it. And so it's like, I'm just so grateful that you came on today and we're just so open and just shared your story and and where you're at, because it's just, it's beautiful. Thank you. I, I feel very seen and I appreciate it truly because it, it is, it's, it's, it's continuing to unlock parts of myself and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to share. And I, that's where I'm at is I, I'm here to share my journey with the world and I'm no longer going to hide it or fight it because the real part of my journey has been everything that happened to me since I left the FLDS. And that's where I, I'm here to share it. And I, I look forward to all the ways that I can reach women and people around the world. And, you know, I do hope that someday I get to sit down and have lunch with Brene Brown. Because that woman has saved my life Mm. because she gave me the tools to honor, help and support myself. Yeah. And I just, I I think I I know what it feels like to, to care so deeply about how someone touched you and their body of work touched you. And I'm immensely honored to be in that category of, of knowing that somehow my journey and my story and my sharing 
has been able to do the same for other people. Mm. All right, guys. Well, um, tune in next Thursday. Um, we're coming to the end of the season soon. So um, we'll see you next week.
Boz originally looked. It's just not um, because someone smashed it on the ground. But like we have an, an opportunity now, right? Like every single day waking up as difficult as it is sometimes and as easy as it may be on other days to like choose to allow for these broken pieces to be cultivated into something and it will form something beautiful um, and something and it will look different and it won't be the same, but um, there's also beauty in that as well. And beauty in, in the fact that there's a, a different masterpiece now. It doesn't look the same that it did, but um, I don't know, maybe it wasn't supposed to look that way after all. Maybe this is actually like the piece of art that it's supposed to look like. And like, I don't know, even like, if that makes sense, what I'm trying to say, but I just think like, even in mm-hmm. our situations now where we're at now, and like, you've, you know, shared some of the things about just where you're at and how you're coping with things and learning things about yourself and always just going through layers. And I think for myself as well. Um, and I think just having this conversation with you, like it just has impacted me in such a big way because I feel like, um, I can just resonate a lot. I think with like your current place, like of what, where you're at and what we've, maybe we'll cut this out because nobody's going to know what I'm talking about, but I just think like, just with what you said about, um, you know, like last night you were crying, I won't put this in there, but that you were crying to your, um, partner. And I feel like, um, that was very vulnerable for me to hear because obviously I look up to you and I'm, I mean, your story is incredible. And so I'm just so excited to like get to interview you. Um, but on the back end of things, I'm thinking like, she's just so put together and everything's fine. And it's like, it's not like things, life is still hard. You're still like battling through things and there's still things that you're working through. And I think for me, like, I've just been really wrestling with like a lot of like, um, anxiety and depression. And it's not something like, I feel like I've always had it very situational, but not, um, I don't really know things are fine. And I don't really know why I have anxiety and this terrible cloud coming over my head every day. And I can't seem to get, I can't seem to like run, like it, it just comes. And I don't, I'm, I, it's like uninvited. I didn't expect it. And it's just, it comes every single day. And I'm really wrestling with this thing of like, just like feeling not good enough. Like I'm like every week, like talking to people and hearing their trauma and it can be a lot sometimes, but I also feel like this is like what I'm called to do. But then there's this lie in my head. That's like, you know, you're not, um, look at all these things about you, you know, that haven't been worked through yet. And I think I can see this, like, like when you were describing that, that, um, that masterpiece, that art, that was like all these pieces were being put back together. I was like, wow. Like, I feel like I'm frustrated by the fact that I'm not, um, the original piece art piece, but like, I'm just, I'm just not. And I'm like frustrated by that because I'm like, why is it not all like coming back together exactly the way that it should be? But it's like, it takes time. And I think that the pieces look different and just waking up every day and choosing to like, continue to be courageous and to continue to like push forward and say like, hello to the things that are facing me and not trying to run from them. And so, um, I'm just so encouraged by you. And like, I just think that I really needed this conversation, like more than, you know, um, just the words that you've said today have just impacted my spirit in such a big way. So I'm truly just like, so grateful. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'm, this is kind of a new, I'm stepping into a new, 
I'm stepping fully into that vulnerable self and it's, it has been hard. And, you know, a lot of where I find myself now getting to be on your podcast and sharing my story as who I am now, I've, I've really come to a new place where I've committed to, to be really honest because I think like myself, I look at a lot of women and I get the opportunity to consistently read stories and and hear these incredible stories of women who, and men, just humans in general, who have confronted incredible things and transcended some of the most horrendous traumas of their past. And you do, you look at them and you say, wow, they have something figured out. And quite honestly, they do. They do have some things figured out. I have some things figured out. That's why we're able to still be here and we're able to share our stories. But I also realize that we don't have everything figured out. And I know that it's easy for an average one of us, you know, it's easy for listeners specifically to, to listen to these stories and feel like that somehow I am better than them, or I'm further along in the journey. And I am further along in my journey than I was 10 years ago, than I, than I was two years ago, but I'm still right in the middle of it. And those really difficult days, I have to remind myself that I am still creating my art piece. I'm still Kintsugi. I think it's I think it's how you pronounce the art form. It's Kintsugi. I, mm. I could probably slaughter that, but that's it's <laughs> this form of Japanese art. And I, I have to hold that representation even to this day to remind myself, just pick up one more piece and let's meld it back together. And sometimes I actually drop my art piece. And I've in I'm in a place right now where I feel like I've dropped my vase once again. And it's all over the ground and I'm still picking up the pieces that I want to pick up. And the beautiful thing about it is its own kind of, it's its own living art piece. And <clears throat> every day that I pick up a piece and I meld it into who I want to be today and who I know that I am, it becomes more beautiful in its own way. <clears throat> and also to realize that at any point in time, I can deconstruct that once again. And that's this process of confronting abuse, confronting trauma, confronting things that happened to us that were outside of our control is often they made us into a version of who we are that we don't necessarily want to keep being. And I invite every woman or man that is listening to remember that we really do 